0: An ER room finally opens up and I called him back and proceeded to walk him back to room eight. I walked him back. <laughs> Pro tip, never ambulate a patient who comes into the ER for syncope. Use a wheelchair. This could have been really bad. So just as I get into his room, he says, it's happening again. I guide, well, kind of push him back into the bed and I call for help. Hey guys, I need some help in here. He passes out right in front of me. Street clothes on, no monitor. I quickly paste him on the monitor and he's in VTAC.
1: Welcome to the Rapid Response RN Podcast, helping you keep your finger on the pulse of your patient's condition. With real life stories from the front lines of nursing, this podcast can help you sharpen your assessment skills, improve your ability to recognize the signs and symptoms of your patient's decline, Be inspired to speak up and advocate and know how to jump into action to promote the best outcome for your patients. Hey,
0: everybody. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. Welcome back to the Rapid Response RN podcast. This episode will wrap up the four part series on syncope. And I have saved the best for last. Cardiac syncope is the most concerning of all the types of syncope. Before I dive into the case, I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that my course, Rapid Response and Rescue, is on sale now through the end of the year, which is just a few more days. You can use the code PODCAST22 to get $22 off the cost of the course, making it only $27, but that coupon is only active until December 31st of 2022. So if you've been wanting to check the course out, now is a great time. You'll have access to the course for six months, so no rush to finish it before the end of the year. And if you're traveling for the holidays like I am, the course is mobile-friendly. You can take the whole thing from your phone. Just go to www.rapidresponseandrescue.com and type in the coupon code in all caps PODCAST22 to get my course for the best price I have ever offered it. And if you have any questions about if this course is right for you, feel free to DM me on Instagram. You can find me at the Rapid Response RN. All right, back to syncope. So, in case you missed the first three episodes, the types of syncope include reflex syncope, like vasovagal syncope or situational syncope, like when someone gets bad news and pass out. There's also orthostatic syncope, which is when The syncope is precipitated by a change in position, usually to standing. This can be from an autonomic dysfunction or the patient being volume depleted, like from vomiting, diarrhea, diuresis, or just fluid shifting out of the vascular space. Either way, the change in position is the common denominator for orthostatic syncope. And the final type of syncope is, like I said, the most concerning of all, it is cardiac syncope. So it's 2004. I'm working in the ER as a new grad and I am assigned to triage. Honestly, triage is my least favorite ER assignment. I mean, while I enjoy the challenge of quickly sorting through patients to determine who's the sickest one and the opportunity to make patients feel at ease from the beginning, as a new grad, I was always afraid I would miss something because I didn't know what I didn't know. Like, what if I didn't ask the right assessment questions to determine if I should be concerned or not for the patient's presentation? I made a lot of mistakes, but that is also where I learned to trust my intuition because sometimes you just get a bad feeling about a patient without any data to back it up and it ends up being spot on. But this particular night was rough. The kind when you arrive and there is standing room only in the waiting room. You take report on like 30 patients waiting for this overcrowded waiting room. People have been there for hours, and you can just kind of feel the tension in the room as people's anxiety and fear are growing, and their patience is running thin. Here's how I started every triage shift when I was greeted with a full waiting room of people who had been waiting for hours. So I would walk to the most prominent point in the room with a cart of blankets and some cups of water, and I would say pretty much the same thing every single time. Good evening everyone, my name is Sarah and I will be the triage nurse from now until 7 a.m. I know I didn't get to meet many of you when you were checking in, but I will be here to care for you until a room opens up for you back in the ER. You've all been waiting for a while, so I brought some blankets and some water. I cannot provide food because many of you are waiting for test results to come back and for multiple reasons, it's just not a good idea to eat before we determine your diagnosis. I know it's confusing, what order patients are being brought back to their rooms. Here in the ER, patients are seen in order of acuity, not in order of arrival. The ER is not first-come, first-served. We take into consideration your vital signs, your history, and several other factors to determine what area of the ER you need to be placed in for your treatment. You may see someone that came in after you be called back first, but I assure you there's a good reason for that. You were not skipped in line. Additionally, what you cannot see is that there's lots of helicopters and ambulances that are arriving in the back of ER. So I will never be able to answer your question of how much longer will it be because I cannot predict how many patients will arrive by ambulance or how many patients might come in even after you that are sicker than you. But I can guarantee that I will provide the best care and try to make you as comfortable as I can while you're waiting. I'm your nurse and I'm your advocate. So please let me know if there's anything I can do for you or if there's something that changes about your symptoms. Can I answer anyone's questions now before I get back to checking people in? Usually at that point, nobody had any questions because I had already answered the most frequently asked questions. So then I would just get back to the backlog of people needed to be triaged in. I know it seems kind of harsh to just tell people from the get go how it's going to be, but I found myself answering the same question over and over, so I just started the, beginning my shift with that. You would think that people would be very off-put by my blunt description of how things are gonna go, but I received more letters to the hospital about my amazing, compassionate care that I provided in triage more than any other area that I worked. Patients and their families just like to be informed, even if it's not the news that they're wanting to hear. Anyways, I said all that to tell you it was a really bad night in the ER. <laughs> So back to my syncope guy, I just finished my spiel when he arrived to be triaged. I brought him back and started taking his vital signs while he told me his story. He's like a 50-ish year old male. He has a history of hypertension and a four vessel cabbage. He says, I don't know what's going on. I just keep passing out. I said, what do you mean passing out? Like, are you losing consciousness? He said, yeah, one second I'm fine. And I start kind of feeling woozy. The next thing I know everything goes black. And then I wake up on the floor I ask about injuries. No injuries. I ask about chest pain. No chest pain. I ask about shortness of breath. He says, oh, I feel a little short of breath, like right before I pass out. But when he comes to, he feels fine and he feels fine right now in my triage chair. So new nurse Sarah saw completely stable vital signs, a pink, warm and dry patient who is alert and oriented times four. So I made him an ESI level three. For those of you who don't work ER, or maybe use a different acuity scale in your ER, here's the summary of how my ER categorized patients based on how sick they could be. Level 1 is almost dead. Think like, level 1, trauma center. Level 2 is, you could absolutely die from this. Like, chest pain, shortness of breath with low oxygen saturation, stroke-like symptoms, basically any presentation that could threaten your patient's life. That's level 2. Level three is stable vital signs with something that needs some diagnostics to figure out what's wrong, like a CAT scan, an X-ray, blood work, etc. Level four is something that's not life-threatening, like for sure, but it does require at least one intervention to diagnose or treat, like stitches or a splint or an X-ray. Most hospitals would call this like fast track or urgent care. Level five is the stuff that requires no diagnostics. And you ask yourself, why would you come to the ER for this? So level one and two is what most people think about when they think about ER nursing, but level threes are what the bulk of the ER patients are made up of. So by making him a level three, that basically says he can wait. He's stable. I was very wrong. (laughs) So like three and a half hours go by, The ER waiting room is starting to thin out a little bit and a room opens up. And so I call him back and then proceeded to walk him back to the room. I walked him back. (laughs) Pro tip, never ambulate a patient who comes to the ER for syncope. Use a wheelchair. This could have been really bad. Just as I get to his room, he says, it's happening again. I guide, well, kind of push him back to the bed and call for help. Hey guys, I need some help in here. He passes out right in front of me in his street clothes, no monitor. I quickly place him on the monitor and he's in VTAC. VTAC! <laughs> I triaged a guy who'd been having runs of VTAC as a level three and made him wait in our waiting room for three and a half hours because I didn't ask the right questions about his syncope or even have any idea what his syncope could have been from. I also walked a guy who had undiagnosed syncope. He could have hit the floor right in front of me. So I learned two valuable lessons that day. Number one, syncope of unknown origin is cardiac syncope until proven otherwise. Number two, never walk a patient with syncope of unknown origin. <laughs> if you just syncopized, you are riding a wheelchair, whether you feel like it or not. <laughs> Once we got him back on the monitor and placed the defib pads, we cardioverted him out of attack with just one shock. Within a minute of being back in sinus rhythm, he woke up and started talking to us again. We gave him some amiodarone and started him on an amiodarone drip. We kept him on the defib pads just in case he went back into VTAC, and he was admitted to the hospital for a full cardiac workup to determine why he was having paroxysmal ventricular tachycardia. So let me take a minute to review the last few episodes in Syncope in the context of how I should have approached his triage assessment. Episode 32, syncope versus seizure. I should have asked, did anyone witness his syncope? Were there any shaking or jerking movements? Did he have a postictal period after? Any loss of bowel or bladder control? Did he bite his tongue? And if he did, was it on the front or the sides? Did he have any history of seizures? The answer would have been no to all of those, and I could have ruled out seizure. Episode 33, could he have had reflex syncope? Was there any particular situation that might have brought out his syncope? Like fear, bad news, sight of blood, crowded hot places, etc. Was he bearing down on the toilet or straining or some other activity whenever it happened? The answer is no, none of those. Episode 34. Could this have been an orthostatic syncope event? Did he pass out shortly after standing? Does he have any autonomic dysfunction? Like... Parkinson's or diabetes or other neurological causes? Does he take any medication that might have dropped his heart rate or blood pressure? Any recent conditions that could leave him volume depleted like vomiting, diarrhea, heavy exercise, fever, poor intake, diuretics, or volume loss internally like a GI bleed or recent trauma? The answer again would have been no to all of those too. If I would've asked the right questions, I could've ruled out, or come pretty close to ruling out, seizure, reflex syncope, and orthostatic syncope. That would've left me with no other option than to assume this syncope was either psychiatric, because I didn't witness it, or cardiac syncope. So now let's talk through some of the causes of cardiac syncope. Cardiac syncope has two main types. Dysrhythmias, like my patient who went into VTAC, and mechanical or structural problems with the actual heart muscle itself, or the surrounding vessels and valves. For dysrhythmia, the list is really long. There are bradyarrhythmias, like AV blocks, usually 2nd or 3rd degree, or sinus node dysfunction, or pacemaker malfunction, or tachyarrhythmias, like supraventricular tachycardia, or ventricular tachycardia like this guy. There are also the rare PR interval disorders and accessory conduction pathway syndromes like Wolf-Parkinson-White or Loun-Ganong-Levine syndrome or Brigada syndrome, or I'm gonna butcher this one, Mayheim syndrome. (laughs) There are also QT interval disorders that are either genetically inherited or medication-induced that can cause syncope or even death, all of which can take your patient's life if not detected and treated syncope is often the first time their dysrhythmia is even detected. They come in for syncope and go home with a pacemaker or an automatic internal cardiac defibrillator. I've done episodes on a few of these and hope to eventually do an episode on each of these rhythms, but if you want to learn more, you can check out episode 16 on supraventricular tachycardia, episode 11 on tachybrady syndrome, but looking from my list of notes, I have another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven other episodes to cover the main dysrhythmia reasons for syncope. And I look forward to diving into all of those in 2023. The other branch of cardiovascular syncope is structural issues, the most common being ischemic cardiomyopathy or valvular abnormalities like aortic stenosis. But there are a ton of other cardiac reasons for syncope, including cardiac tamponade, aortic dissection, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, dilated cardiomyopathy, cardiac tumors, pulmonary hypertension, and pulmonary emboli. I've actually done a couple episodes on a few of these. If you wanted to learn more, episode 14 is on pulmonary embolisms, episode 15 on aortic dissection, episode 24 on Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, and episode 31 on cardiac tamponade. All of these physical issues with the structural makeup of the heart and surrounding vasculature can cause syncope. If I could go back and re-triage him, I would have asked a lot more questions to rule out the benign causes of syncope and would have come to the conclusion that something is probably happening unexpectedly with his heart. I would have known to make him an ESI level 2, not level 3, and to place him immediately into a wheelchair and not have him walking through the ER. I and he was so lucky that he didn't fall and hit his head on the floor. And fortunately he waited to pass out until right as he arrived in his room. I tell this story for two reasons. Number one, I want my listeners to never ever think that I never made mistakes. I want you to know that I am human just like you. Patient presentations aren't always textbook and the circumstances of your day will affect your ability to do your job. I have never been a perfect nurse, and while I would consider myself an expert now, almost 20 years into my career, I still don't know everything and I miss stuff and make bad judgment calls all the time. And you will too, and that is okay. We both just have to learn from our mistakes and commit ourselves to lifelong learning because there's always something new to learn. And number two, I want you to be able to use critical thinking to ask the right questions and assess for the most important things to determine the source of your patient's syncope. I hope this four part series on syncope will help you quickly get to the bottom of why your patient passed out and give you the knowledge to know how to effectively advocate for further diagnostics if needed to rule out the worst case scenario of syncope for your patient. In conclusion, it has been a pleasure making podcasts for you this year. I have a long list of episodes I can't wait to make in 2023. And I'm looking forward to a new year for Rapid Response RN Podcast. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email with questions or comments, and it would mean so much if you could take a moment to write a review on iTunes, as this helps more listeners find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you're confident you've done what's right by your patient.
1: You've been listening to the Rapid Response RN podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient's care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at RapidResponseRNPodcast at gmail.com or on the Rapid Response RN Podcast Facebook page, as well as the podcast website, RapidResponseRN.com.